Hi, Nick. Hey, how are you doing? I'm doing great. It's great to hear your voice. Life's been different with a new job, but uh, everything's been great. Nick, we met more than seven years ago. You were still in high school. At that time, you had received a devastating diagnosis. Right. So that was uh, freshman year, 2015. I was diagnosed three days before my first tryouts for the school. So I was reading really hard, so I was obviously, you know, devastated that I didn't know where I was going to end up um, physically. You know, I didn't know exactly how long I had left. So, you know, any time I went back on the field, like, it was, it was uh, I would play every time like it was my last. So... Mm-hmm. It was really easy to, to train hard and to perform at my best. Can you tell me the, the kind of tumor, What is the actual name of it? So it's called a, a diffuse exophytic parenting glium, and it's um, the short name for it, DEPG. What were your symptoms prior to diagnosis? So when I look to the right, I would have a double vision. Um, my The tumor was blocking uh, my right optic nerve from going as far as my left eye wanted it to. Um, so, basically, if I look far to the right, I would see two of the same image side by side. And, uh, obviously being on the soccer field, when I look to the right, I would see two soccer balls coming up. You know, I just have to take one of them and roll with it. Did you know immediately something was wrong? Um, honestly, I didn't think too much of it. It just kept bothering me. But, you know, my my head never uh, wandered towards, like, oh, this could be something serious. I just thought, you know, it was something minor. And then we went to the eye doctor after I complained about it for a couple months. And, uh, you know, they were like, your optic nerves look great. Um, you have 20-20 vision. Um... 99% this is something viral, it's going to go away. Uh, 1% is something serious, but just in case, we'll send you over to, you know, imaging specialist at Charleston and uh, get you some scans um, just to be sure. And then that soon after that, that's when we found out, that's when they found that marble-sized tumor in the pond's area of my brain, and um, that's when my dad broke the news to me. Do you remember your first thoughts? Oh, I'll never forget those first couple of minutes like it was definitely like a very chilling out of body experience that you know it just kind of I don't know like, it's like my whole body just went like numb and um, it was it, I think it was just pure shock at that point um, and it, it didn't seem it didn't seem real and it didn't, you know, it took a little bit for it to hit uh, the severity of it. And, you know, I was pretty stunned until I, you know, I actually got in the car and on the way home, I started asking questions, you know, how bad it is. And um, at that point, we had very little information and they had no idea how bad it was. So did it immediately seem as though everything about your life was different? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I always say, like, I I grew up when I was 15 years old um, because just everything after that day mm-hmm. is, you know, I, I went from the mindset of thinking I had all the time in the world and, you know, 
to, you know, I may very well have five years or less to live, um, and that'll humble you very quickly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you don't, every, every day after that, it was, you know, it was very difficult for me to just go back to school and resume normal life or, you know, goof off too much. Um, you know, it was very, everything, everything I did from that moment forward had a purpose behind it. And, um, there was, a, there's intention to everything I do because I don't want to, I had no, I had no time to waste. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, in my mind, I had, you know, 60, 70, 80 years of, uh, experience that I had to jam into five years. What initially seemed like a problem or a failure in that first surgery ended up being something that would result in something favorable in the second surgery. Right. It was, it was a blessing in disguise because it made the second surgery a lot easier. Uh, Mid-June of I think, yeah, mid-June 2015, I had um, one surgery. So the first time I went in, um, my anesthesiologist ended up calling the surgery before the tumor was removed because my blood pressure started to spike um, very high for a split second. And basically what that tells him is that um, it's a it's a very, very dangerous surgery. So I was heavily monitored and my, I had... Um, wires going through my neck that went into my heart and they were monitoring every second my blood pressure heart rate and everything because as soon as it spiked that means that they were messing with something in my brain that um my brain didn't like and my body was having a response to it and that's Mm -hmm. where that's where something goes wrong where you um there's like paralysis there's um you know your organs shut down uh, so it was a very important for them to call the surgery right then and there. Um, so it was not a successful surgery. Um, they were, my family was devastated. Um, two days later, uh, they wanted to go back in. They wanted to go for it again. And, um, you know, my parents were reluctant at first, but eventually agreed and ended up that the scar tissue, because they were able to get to the ter- tumor for the first surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, so the scar tissue that had developed from the first surgery ended up encasing the tumor um, so that it just was a straight shot right to the tumor. Um, and they were able to remove it quite easily, I guess. Uh, it was a very short surgery like probably three or four hours, which is crazy for um, a very complicated brain surgery like that. And my mom was holding the buzzer so that um, it would give her updates. And once they said that the surgery was over after a few hours, she started freaking out because she knows that's extremely short and she thought something went wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, But they came came out all smiles and said they, they got it all. Wow, that's incredible. That is absolutely incredible. And let's talk about your recovery after the two surgeries. It was a very, very rough recovery. Um, that was the hardest part by far. I mean, I my brain was so swollen that um, you couldn't you couldn't touch me. You couldn't be around me. If you whisper 
five feet away from me. It sounded like people were screaming in my ears. Mm. Uh, my brain was so swollen that I was so hypersensitive to everything. The lights couldn't be on. You know, not many people could visit me. It would be one person in the room at a time. Um, obviously, I was stuck in the bed, so um, I was... The things they had to hook up to me were extremely uncomfortable, and I was just kind of stuck there for until I could, you know, get into the ICU where we started doing rehab and recovery, and my neck hurt like crazy because they had gone through my neck muscles. Uh, the uh, right side of my face was completely paralyzed, and it, that took about a year and a half to to heal and I still have a, a tiny bit of paralysis but nobody would be able to tell. Have there been moments when you were afraid or despondent or angry that you know that you've had to endure so much in starting at such a young age? There was a lot of moments where I was you know admittedly like I was at the beginning I was mad at God and you know I was just like why why me like what what did i do wrong why am i being punished um you know there was a lot of that at the beginning or and that only lasted that first day because you know i I really felt like i was definitely touched that later that night just thinking about like why me why me why me and then you know i saw a quote that like god gives us uh, toughest battles to the strongest warriors and you know I kind of uh, that one really that one really stuck with me mm-hmm. um, so I I woke up that next morning and said you know what I know why it's me it's because you know told, told my parents to quote and I said it's because I'm going to beat this and I'm going to show other people that it's, it's possible and then I'm going to help other people do it on the flip side and you know there was I did have my weak moments in my story. You know, there were, there was times where I was extremely uncomfortable. I wasn't in a great headspace because obviously I had just had brain surgery, so I I didn't feel great. And you know, I did have moments of weakness where I was like, "This just sucks." <laughs> like, mm-hmm. why? You know, mm-hmm. I had more moments of the why me, and I had you know, I was pumped full of steroids, and that affected my moods and. I was not, there was a time period where I was not a very pleasant person to be around, um, but it was nothing that nobody, you know, my parents stuck around and, um, and you know, they, they kind of knew it was from the surgery and the, mm-hmm. the medicine, medication I was taking. But yeah, there, there was definitely some, a few moments in there where I was angry or, you know, not in a good mind space, but most of the time I was, I've, very optimistic and positive. At the age of 15, you start living with a sense of purpose. It definitely has. It, it's changed my perspective on life. And, you know, I have to get reminded every every now and, and again, but usually um, I'm good at, you know, being very appreciative of things and not uh, taking myself too seriously or, you know, focusing too much on materialistic things. I'm I'm very much a purpose-driven mm-hmm. person, and I think that does stem. Um, I'd always been a kid that's like was very hardworking on something I wanted to do, but 
that whole experience definitely amplified that a lot. And so, yeah, to the, to this day, I still kind of have that same mindset. I don't I don't like to waste days. How did your family and friends respond to a diagnosis of a brain tumor? My mom and dad were obviously, you know, my sister, everybody was pretty devastated. Um, you know, I was, I was devastated. I gave myself one day to cry about it, and that was the day I was diagnosed. Um, and then the next day, I woke up telling them that, you know, I know why it's me. I'm going to beat this and I'm going to help other people on the other side. And my mom still remembers when I told her that. Um, so, I mean, they were obviously extremely worried being my parents. Um, my friends were extremely supportive. I had, we had family friends raising money for us. And, um, it was, it was, um, there was a lot of love around us. A lot of, a lot of people rallied behind our family and, you know, when we need them most, they were there. Nick, a big update for people who have followed your journey, uh, whether directly or through social media, is that you've joined the Charleston County Sheriff's Office. Tell me more about your new role and why you considered law enforcement as a career move. Because every, everybody takes the job of, as, a, as a deputy sheriff or a police officer. Um, they they want to help the community, but everybody kind of has a reason why behind it. Um, mine is that I have a list of check boxes that I, I want in a career. You know, mine are that I want something that I could be a part of a team. It gives me an excuse to stay in shape. I don't have to be glued to a desk all day. I get to meet new people and every day might be completely different than the last and I'll be expected to solve problems, you know, in one field one day and then do just as good as job in a different field the next day. Um, I'm very attracted to those ideas and, you know, I'm just fascinated with those topics, but it's also the only job that checked all those boxes that allowed me to, you know, pay off the debt that I owe to the Charleston community and, you know, they, they protected me in a time where I needed it the most. And, you know, here I am living my, my second chance at life. Um, you know, it's, it's my turn to, to protect them. Well, your story is one that inspires many, and it is really comforting to know that you will now be protecting us in a different way and continuing to, to share your story. You are brave, you're powerful, and filled with such compassion. And I think that our community is safer and better because you are a part of it, Nick Price. Nick, thank you so much for speaking with me. I appreciate the time. Uh, Thank you so much. Those are very kind words, and they go a long way. I, I really, really appreciate it. Thank you, Nick. For this episode of Let's Talk. Let's Talk is produced by Eric Johnson. I'm the host, Carolyn Murray. We welcome your comments and advice on our podcast, so please write a review and share the link with others. Thanks again for listening to Let's Talk. Goodbye until the next time. Mm-hmm.